Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this latest narration of the web series The Nature of Predators. If you are new to the series, there is a playlist listed down below in the description. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Memory Transcription Subject, Chief Hunter Isif, Arkansas Rebellion Command. Date, Standardized Human Time, March 18th, 2137. The humans and their higher-ups believed that Mytiliscus' duel with Iltus was a poor idea. There was a history and risk of high-class society settling feuds through this strength of display. Though there was no obligation to accept such a challenge, I knew I couldn't afford to be seen as weak by my rebels. Doubt had been sown by my friendliness with the human, and my personal secrecy to hide Falra's presence in the past. Tliscus was nothing so disorderly and random as a single turn and draw of a gun as I'd read about on Earth. It was practiced as both a sport or training sessions and an unequivocal contest of who the band of fighter was. It might be the most social aspect left in our society, even if it was just locking swords. I checked that my ceremonial armor was snug while adjusting the padding underneath it. The extravagant sword and exquisite gear were fine pieces of craftsmanship, gifts Betterman bestowed upon its worthy hunters as symbols of rank. I wore these for important communications and ceremonies, such as when the Prophet Descendant issued commendations for terror-inducing raids. It brought back memories of when I executed the Arxor who refused to eat a gojid, knowing I had to play with the fanatic. Slipping into that cruel, familiar persona would be easier than I'd liked to admit. After years of practice putting down any comrade who challenged or insulted me, there was no reason I couldn't go toe-to-toe with Ilthus. My claws hooked around the ornament case. There were three fragile squares the size of a Terran Rubik's Cube, which were crafted from a red crystal called Queshar, native to Riss. The intricate patterns then showed up under the UV lights of a Tulskus match made it near impossible to pull off any fakes. Not that I would stoop to such means to win our battle. The crystalline squares had to be attached between our chest and our waist, facing the opponent, and not in any limbs. The winner of the duel was whoever could break all of their rival's ornaments first. Each time a crystal broke, the round concluded so the loser could reset their adornments. It was a simple yet brutal contest. While attacks towards the head and the neck were prohibited, any other area was fair game for stab wounds. Now I can withstand pain of a few cuts. The question is if my greater experience can counter Ilthus's faster speed. Success will be achieved by outwitting his strategy. As I approached the fated site alone, there were no treasonous moves from the young chief hunter. His morality was self-serving and dubious, but he respected strength and courage. He wanted to pass me beyond any doubt, so that meant no tricks were forthcoming. It would be strategically prudent to take me out of the picture and forsake pride, yet his hot-headedness prevented him from suppressing his arrogance here. At his age, in his prime, Ilthus likely thought he was invincible. His aggression, attempting to humiliate me out of the gate, was almost a certainty. I also believed that if I won, he would humor a persuasion attempt to join our side, per his word. Kaisel hailed my transport as it docked with Ulthus' designated habitat. Ancestor speed your victory, Chief Hunter. May his blood wet your sword. Thank you, I responded, steadying my nerves. I have a purpose to fight for beyond myself, the purpose of our entire people. Be future worth great success. Besides, 
There are some selfish gains. I'll have your eavesdropping human friends know that I'm no softy. Swinging a sword won't prove that, Oleg chirped. It will when I swing the sword at your neck and lop your skull clean off. That would put an end to your conspiracy theories, yes? Actually, no. In the event of my death, I've set up a cache of evidence for various government plots to be uploaded so that nobody can silence my findings. Here, for instance, I don't trust them doing cure research. They're undoing the cure, but what else are they doing? There is no oversight, and the planetary security excuse is horseshit. What are they doing, Golak? Cloning people for bullet fodder? Putting a skill switch in the DNA of anyone who likes conspiracies? There'll come a day where they'll be able to know everything about you, even your deepest thoughts, just by observing a few elements of your biology. And it'll be a lot sooner than you think. Laugh all you want, Lisa. But we're welcoming the death of privacy with open arms. I heaved a flustered sigh. Enough! You are distracting me before an important contest with your incessant chatter. If you have a dog like this on the bridge, I'll feed you to Ulthus in pieces myself. Ah, yes. Cannibalism is such a funny joke with your hist- I disconnected from the channel, hissing with exasperation. At least those two humans being their infuriating selves brought me a notch closer to combat mode. Sometimes I yearn to take a metal blade to their ornaments. My facial features hardened into a menacing mask, devoid of emotion, and I disembarked to face off with Ilthus in person. The chief hunter was waiting with the smugness of someone who believed they'd already won. My paw drifted to the hilt of my sword, though it stayed in my scabbard. I wasn't going to take a premature swipe at him, but the gesture of animosity would get through. I don't miss having to communicate in cruelty, unable to hint at any emotions. That said, I was pretty good at pretending, isn't that right? Ilthus smacked his tail on the ground energetically. This fool believes he is the finer chief hunter. I am sure that he was great in the old days, but he strayed from the path. I'm surprised he remembers how to hold the sword. What a lovely greeting. I'd say we go straight to the Tliskus, since the conversation is a waste, yes? Works for me. But I'll have you know that my raid against the Disjordan was sublime. We landed raiding parties and set off demolition charges in their caves, burying villagers like that. <laughs> That's a new one. My idea. How masterfully cruel. I imagine you would not have come back if you managed to keep the planets. You did not even mention Multi. I am not idiotic enough to waste resources. Those mindless animals are fighting amongst themselves, so I hardly need to bomb them. I'm surprised the cowardly prey don't stampede the second one of their own throws a claw swipe. The humans can be attributed to this unrest. They put your raid to shame. They dismantled the foundation of over two hundred worlds. As if I believe that. There were none of those vendor-loving apes in sight. That is why they are so terrifying, Yiltus. You do not see a lethal virus in action. It kills in its silence. The Terrans I know of refused to kill anyone. That was the whole premise of the fight at Silas and Fall. Warring so those who helped bomb them would live. The enemies of Earth that fell were by your maneuvering. A point of contention between us. 
They choose to murder my bloodshed. But I have no doubt that humanity could lay waste to the galaxy if they didn't. The Federation should be afraid of what they've tried to awaken. Their cleverness. Yes, if. No sales pitch from your means a morsel until you have any strength to flaunt. I suggest you think of your last words for when you're executed by your defeat. I do not need to waste time preparing for things that will not happen. Ilthus growled at me, eyes narrowing to crazed slits. The two of us had reached Tuskless Arena, on opposite sides. I could see starting pads scattered a few seconds of running apart. The pedestals in the center offered places to climb or use the environment to our advantage. As the rival chief hunter strapped his first ornament over his armored stomach, I considered the placement of my own object. If the ornament broke, even as a result of my actions, it would count for Ilthus, as long as it didn't happen after a tally of mine. Staying up on my feet and avoiding dropping my weight onto my fragile item would be crucial. With a grunt of determination, I tightened the band around my sternum and fixed my ornament right in the center. In range of both arms to defend, so it is safer, and these sidelong stabs towards the hip. If I fall, I can catch myself on all falls to avoid breaking it. Everything aside from head-on and neck shots, and attacks such as biting or headbutting were fair game, so I needed to watch for any ambitious tail swipes from Ulthus. I also should throw an occasional kick or slash of my own to keep him on his toes. It might serve me to knock over his platform rather than contest elevation, but the young Arxor went for the high ground. I drew my sword with confidence, ready for the frenetic clash of wits and body. Tliskus was an exhilarating format, though I wasn't sure whether my reflexes were quite as sharp as they used to be. Still, my experience was nothing to laugh at, and I was certain that I could outthink any Dominion lackey. A cautious approach would take the wind out of his sails, along with granting me insight into his strategy. I stepped onto the starting pad and lowered myself to a lunging stance, with my body facing towards the ground. The ornament would be angled away from Ilsus. The other chief hunter was going to meet only my sword, and if my head was facing him, he couldn't swing at it without being disqualified. If my head was intentionally maneuvered in the path of a blow, that was the sole way that it could be ruled a fair shot. I lashed my tail to signal readiness, and Ilthus did the same. The young chief hunter had no sooner smacked his pad with force before he raced towards the pedestal. Cresting one as tall as an oxel without using the lower platforms as stepping stools, he stared me down from the powerful vantage point, realizing that I was staying put. Coward! What? You frozen like prey, going to wet yourself and faint? Ilthus jeered. The chief hunter lunged with a staggering power from his hind legs, leading sword first, with the pointed tip blazing towards me. I was doubtful that I could parry his blistering momentum. There was no time to sidestep before Ilthus landed nearly atop me, careful to keep his maw turned away from me. His sword finished its trajectory. The young oxel wasn't aiming for the ornament I guarded, instead driving his blade into my thigh. I staggered from the pain, shoving him away with the pommel, my rival landed with grace on all fours, absorbing the momentum through his paw and keeping the crystal strapped to his stomach safe. He took crazed swings towards my Quashar token, and though I saw his tail coming, I could barely fend off the sword by itself. My hind legs were swept out from under me with a brutal lash, 
and it was all I could do to keep my blade from clattering to the floor. Ilthus scrambled towards me, wrapping his tail around my weapon. He wrenched it from my dazed grip, ignoring how the sharp edges lacerated his skin. A gloating glint shone in his eyes as he shattered my crystal into tiny fragments with an unnecessarily forceful swing. I could feel the impact through my armor and struggled to shake it off. After collecting my weapon, I disguised my lump on my walk to the ornament collection. Failure to reset quickly was considered forfeiture. I donned my new cube and hustled back to the pad. With how impressive my opponent's aggression was, I could see why he climbed the ranks at a young age. I lashed my tail. Is that the best you can muster? Ilthus signaled his readiness, and this time, I opted not to wait for him to come to me. I sprinted towards the pedestal at the same time as him, weaving around the column while keeping low to the ground. The chief hunter had climbed the platform again, but was unable to get a clean stab at me. He twirled in my direction just as I wildly swatted with my sword towards his belly. My rival's blade moved in a blur, an instinctual response. His reaction was near instantaneous, deflecting my brazen attempt. I scrambled backwards as he rolled to the ground and tracked his movements and cues. His legs tensed before he dashed towards me. Forget the ornament. I need to cripple him and limit his speed. I fainted a swing at his crystal before thrusting my blade into his knee and twisting. Ilthus howled, but had the presence of mind to hold my blade in his wound. I couldn't pull it away without giving him clean access to my crystal, so I released my grip. Crimson blood gushed from deep gash as he ripped the weapon out. The chief hunter favored his legs so much that he barely put weight on it. The young Arxor crossed my blade with his own, flaunting his dual-wielding. I couldn't conjure any unarmed strategies. It might be best to break my crystal on purpose, get my sword back for the next round and avoid further injuries. But that would leave me with one crystal. Was I that confident? My leg was injured from its own stab wound, though it was less destabilizing. I was without a weapon, left to defend myself with my arms and my nimbleness that was long gone. The possibility of my total defeat crossed my mind, but I recognized that this was the best strategic option, even if my pride spurred me to keep pressing. The humans had taught me anything that could be a weapon, everything but the kitchen sink. I ripped the ornament from my chest and hurled it at Ilthus. If I was going to destroy it, I might as well rain glass shards on his other leg. Arxel might not have Terran's arm torsion, but chucking an object at the ground was within my capabilities. The chief hunter snarled at my opportunistic forfeiture, losing his footing when pain shot up his good leg. He stayed down for several seconds, still not standing after I donned my last crystal. My sword, I demanded, snatching it up from his grip. You cannot fight on, Gilthus. The chief hunter used his own blade to prop himself up and leaned on it to stagger back to his pad. He lashed his tail in defiance, raising his sword into a defensive posture. I signaled my readiness while collecting my wits. This was now a must-win duel, but Ulthus looked hobbled after the previous round. As the new sequence commenced, it was my enemy remaining stationary in his starting point, grimacing as he stood. The Arxor was flexing his leg that the ornament shattered against, but the other limb had lost its functionality altogether after that surgical cut. He brandished his sword in frustration, snarling. I took my time stalking forwards and kept just out of range, moving from side to side so that he was forced to turn awkwardly. The longer this went on, the more Ilthus would be testing his exhausted pain tolerance. 
had faked a forward lunge, laughing as he made a frantic sword move to block. I moved just within range and swiped towards the ornament, connecting with his metal weapon on purpose. While my rival struggled to bat away my blade, my tail snapped his battle leg out from under him. All of his weight was thrown onto his wounded limb, causing him to shriek in anguish. His focus waned as he fell, and I snaked my sword around his to break a crystal. The chief hunter took several attempts to get up, and stewed as he realized he needed to walk and retrieve a new item. The only prize of a loss is to talk about something that will benefit you, I said. Forfeiture would spare you from pain. You can go get treatment. Ilthus almost hopped one leg over to his box. I should have watched for the limb cut around ago, but an oxel fights on. All I need is to break one more ornament of yours. You're still slow, old and weak to be empathizing with my pain. This is not empathy as much as an admission of your pathetic state, unworthy of a duel with me. Hurry up, or you'll be disqualified. The chief hunter secured his jaw around his sword to muffle whimpers and tried to run over to his pad. He crashed onto the starting spot in the nick of time, thumping his tail as he was still on all fours. To my surprise, Belthus stayed down this time, deciding that he was better off low to the ground. It was a valid play, given that I couldn't swing at his head from my high angle. However, it surrendered all mobility and exposed many vulnerable spots. My rival hugged his knees to his chest with his tail and arms, shielding the ornament with his flesh. I inched forward, considering my strikes with caution. Before I could jab at the sensitive wounded area, Ilthus sprang to his feet, despite the pain, and swept his sword in a white arc. I barely leapt back in time, leaning my upper body backward to protect the ornament. The sharp instrument clanged against the armor of my stomach and sucked the breath from my lungs from the force. I parried the second attempt to swing upward and stumbled backwards in a hurry, knowing that he couldn't follow my retreat. Elthus's eyes looked crazed and his nostrils flared before he sank back to all falls, stripped of his willpower. Certain that he couldn't lunge from his awkward form, I rushed forward and swung at his wounded leg. The chief hunter overcommitted to defend that painful area, allowing me to twist the point towards the true target. My sword glided up just enough to glance his crystal, shattering it. Ilthus grunted, Heck you! I only need one hit! Are you delusional? You cannot fight me in this state, and it'll only damage your reputation to crawl around like this, I spat. No! I fight till last. The chief hunter hurried over to the box as best he could with the maimed limb and thrashed his tail once he was hunched back over on the pad. I was growing tired, but that just prompted me to end this bout with swiftfulness. All I needed was to break the final ornament, and I could achieve my goal of persuading him to abandon betterment. Our cause could use the extra force of a chief hunter would bring to the table, and if he agreed to rate Arthur after hearing about Gisnel's arrangements with the Colchians, that might help the Terrans to focus on the Dominion after the clash. I marched back to my pad, thrumming my tail to start the deciding round. Ilthus stumbled forward with aggressive hisses, stealing a page from his book. I waited for him to draw close enough, before using a small pedestal to boost myself up to the highest one. My rival paused, expecting me to lunge at him. However, not willing to risk my crystal shattering in the chaos, I leapt short of where Ilthus waited, 
It was then that I kicked in my last burst of speed, jabbing my sword at his gut with all my strength and willpower. The enemy didn't bother to defend, instead taking it as an opportunity to go for my crystal. I drove my blade through the fragile Quesha and heard my own shatter a half second later. The chief hunter recognized that I'd landed the break first, rather than contesting who won, and conceded the match with a grudging huff. He seemed relieved to be able to sit down and mend his wounds. Fine, fine. Spill out why the feck you think that I should side with the defective like you, but I doubt that I'll be persuaded. I'll honor my words and let you leave after this is through, Ilthus growled. I pulled my hollow pad from the top of my waiting belongings. I'm going to show you a single video of Giznal talking to the late Nikonis. Yes, the then leader of the Federation. If you can't pass that, the Dominion is afraid of the Decolcians and that they don't want us to win, unlike humanity and me. Nothing I say will matter. You do have much energy in fight, and I respect those qualities. Betterment isn't worthy of your strength. Not when they are the ones in league with all of our leaf-licking foes. That is preposterous. Betterment would never bargain with prey like you do. Good thing I have evidence to prove this very statement. Hear it with your own keen ears, yes? The young chief hunter took my holopad with reluctance. I watched his facial expression grow enraged as he listened to Giznal appeasing the Colchians and promising not to push too far in the war as to actually win it. It was the humans who Nikonis blasted as a major setback, and my rebellion which the Prophet Descendant hated for thinking that we could rule all by ourselves. I was ready to jump in with evidence of our triumphs and innovations, how our side pushed the boundaries of warfare when this video was over. Something told me that there was a good chance of getting Ilthus to send his troops to Alpha. This was a fight Batman shied away from, and weakness was an admission he abhorred. My success in the duel could give both humanity and the rebellion an advantage in our respective fights. End of chapter. Chapter 160. Memory Transcription Subject, Ambassador Tava of the Vendel Republic. Date, Standardized Human Time, March 22, 2137. The first Sapien Coalition Convention felt like a trimmed-down version of the Federation's meetings with the familiar markings of diplomacy I'd seen for years. These were the parties that I'd devoted my life to negotiating with, long before I knew the peaceful union in the stars was a lie. Today's agenda was centered around anything relating to genetic research, though I imagined the dirty and salvation would be brought up later. The United Nations was owed basic courtesy after sparing Kalkwa, so I hoped the avians had finally seen reason. On a personal note, Noah was present as my aide, though that was a bit reductive of his true purpose. I wished to try and see the species I'd known for years through his eyes. Humanity had cultivated an array of 38 races, more than just the ones who were recognized across Earth. The Tacken representative's grey hide, haunched over his station, told me their polity was ready to work. The infamous Dr. Zahn, who cheered on Sovlin, wasn't indicative of the larger Tacken species, who'd opened embassies to Earth and had been ready from the start to stick it to the Colchians. The iridescent carapace of the Varen ambassador was visible across from the Terran aid. Some predators were less than fond of insects, but this particular race had only ever gone from neutral to friendly. The Liation diplomat, who had always struck me as a little creepy, seemed to be hitting it off with an entire group of Earthlings. 
that Drevlar attache, unsurprisingly, was snoozing at his desk. For the more well-known members of the audience, the crow cattle, the harken, and tillfish had chosen spots in the back of the hall, avoiding wandering UN diplomats. At the opposite end of the spectrum, Yodel Ambassador Laulo appeared to be flaunting battle footage to anyone who would watch, making exaggerated gestures to accompany his boastful rhetoric. Mazik Vice President Quipper had allowed a human colonial leader from Liberty's Bastion to share a station, which showed respect to the Terran settlement and Kowl's facility. The distant Paltons were flipping through a leaflet on their refugee problem, clearly wanting to insert it into next week's agenda. The Fissons and Nevox were full-on hawking deals on materials until the meeting started. If anyone would have told me when Noah first landed on Skalgar that all of these species would be sharing a hole, and things would seem so normal, I would have laughed. To think Terrans would be so ready to leap into diplomacy, despite their checkered past. It was unthinkable from what we all knew of them. Noah offered a gentle smile. It's nice not to have to worry about so much of our appearances, love. Honestly, the United Nations is probably happy on the conflict of interest issue. On my side, I mean. The Vendel were, uh, special circumstances. Or our people would never have allowed an astronaut who's very close to the governor to be handling our business. Yeah, I suppose our connection was a diplomatic dilemma. Hopefully Governor Val doesn't prove to be too much to manage for your successor. He's ambitious. Belm is shifty, but do can play that game. He wants to try to outmaneuver a genuine human diplomat. Well, he doesn't know what he's in for. The Vendel people didn't know how lucky they were to have someone honest, feeding, and sincere like you in office. Heaven knows, I wish we had a heartfelt people like you filling positions of power back home. Earth will never forget what you did for us, and I'm glad that we have you here at the SC now. You care? Of course I do. That's why when I heard from some Terran counterparts that you wanted to talk about various gene edits, namely research done to reverse the cure, I made sure to put the Venel's tampering on the list, and I invited a guest to speak about what affected humans have gone through. I appreciate what you're going for, but this might not be the most sympathetic audience for a predator wanting to regain the ability to eat flesh. I'm surprised the UN saw that this was a good strategy. Who did you invite? Me. A gruff voice echoed behind me. Noah failed to mask his obvious surprise, as he recited the red-haired human with the twisted nose and crisscross scars below each eye socket. Marcel Fraser was almost as well known as my astronaut after the footage of his torture was broadcast to billions across the galaxy. If any Terran could be sympathetic face to Sapien Coalition listeners, this was the one. There were some controversies around what happened with Slinek, of course. But by all counts, Marcel was a long-suffering herbivorous hero. He was also well acquainted with how Vendel thought and could frame why it was important to seek remediation, even for a vegetarian. It was all part of my plan because what the SC really needs to talk about is beyond cured humans. It's about any omnivores forcibly converted to herbivory who want to go back. That idea would be a touchy subject, given how taboo predator diets had been throughout our lives. It took concentrated efforts to turn a blind eye to how Terrans operated. The first time Noah had a ham and cheese sandwich around me back at his palate, I'd felt my years of brainwashing tried to desapienize the man I loved. 
on the bright side, at least it wasn't blood-soaked, a carcass munching like I envisioned that first time on offer together. If someone told me I'd accept nourishment of that kind years ago, but it didn't matter. I understood the nutritional requisites some species had, and whether the intent was to go back to omnivory or avoid allergic reactions, other SC races should have the say in their diet too. I extended a paw in the human handshake gesture. Marcel, I'm delighted to see you again under much more pleasant circumstances than the unwar-torn earth or the prior time at the outpost. I'm glad to be doing something to help. Gov- uh, Sorry. Ambassador. It does sting a little that all of these listeners will just see me as a poster boy for human victimhood. Marcel sighed. I'm here to make everyone feel more sorry for me than they already do, right? Put your chin up. Unless you feel sorry for yourself, the Federation has done shitty things, and several of those shitty things happened to you. You are the perfect spokesman for millions affected by this. But why we're really here is to fix this mess, and you're here to convince them it needs fixing. Like it or not, you have a say over the choices made at the highest echelons of government. Clear all your uncertainty and decide how you plan to use that power. Noah whistled in appreciation. What she said. It's good for us to see you here, standing tall, from where you were not too long ago. You don't just earn pity. You're a damn inspiration, a testament to the human spirit. I don't know about that. I've always tried to do the right by people. And believe me, there'll be no theatrics needed for what this cure has taken from me. Marcel forced a smile, shoving his hands in his pocket. His hazel eyes swiveled with broadened intensity. I volunteered for the prototype antidote, and the risks are worth it for me. Don't get me wrong, I appreciate all of our researchers, but having the archives spell out exact gene edits is what made it feasible. I wonder if you'll pursue reverse mods for the Venlil. I tilted my head to one side. Yes, Noah, and I were discussing that. It's definitely something almost every Vendel can agree on, and I have Valen's blessing to declare our intention of moving forward with the reversal. On the debate stage, he acknowledged, Now we both see this as important to our people. The UN has been tabulating which changes need undoing for us since the archives. That's awesome. I wish Lenek was here to see that. He couldn't stand uh, seeing what they did to you. My astronaut scowled. I don't support what your buddy did. But I get it. It infuriates me that Tava lived her whole life deprived of basic things, because someone hundreds of years ago decided to kidnap her ancestors' children and to transform their genome. It wasn't so bad until we knew what had been taken from us, I sighed. But don't worry. I'll do what it takes to see that future generations aren't shackled for humans or for Venlo. The stage is all yours, Marcel, if you are ready. The redhead human nodded. No sense in delaying. I'll be going. Short and sweet. I offered a polite wave to the former UN soldier, who'd been cured during an incident at the battle for Malu. What I hadn't told Noah when mentioning Vendel genetic reversal was the decision I'd reached for myself. With my safety on the line, I wasn't sure he'd approve. The archive files of 45-G detailed the exact modifications the fossil made, with unique specificity even compared to the info on the protovirus used for different cure bioweapons. That entire file cluster was a changelog for my species. The Terrans had run simulations suggesting they could reverse the gene edits for Vendel kind, but it might be difficult to persuade others of my kind to trust those supposed corrections. 
For starters, we would never enjoy the benefits of properly developed limbs or olfactory organs. Still, if we wanted to erase the fossil's impact on our society, the majority of the herd needed to choose to go back to our empowered selves. It was a tough sell when it could have consequences for us in the present, and entailed having our DNA altered by another group of aliens. The success of reversal and any side effects on newly grown children wouldn't be seen for years. That left, uh, the other part of the plan. It was going to be one fireball of a topic to broach with Noah. I hadn't asked how the human felt about children, obviously. It wasn't possible between the two of us, so starting a family had never had a reason to come up. Noah would make a wonderful father, but even if he's somehow okay with this outlandish idea, it won't truly be his kid. Bloodlines are important to humans, as I understand it. Marcel stepped to the podium, clearing his throat. Hello, ambassadors of the Sabian Coalition. It's an honor. I've always loved the diversity of life on my homeworld, and though finding it in the stars has brought a ton of suffering for me and my people, it is wonderful to see dozens of races that do share our vision. Maybe other humans haven't told you this, but, but we revered and feared extraterrestrials when you were the stuff of Murth. I find our fears may have lacked uh, imagination. An attempt to destroy our planet, followed by a bioweapon designed to force fundamental changes upon us, bested our spooky sci-fi tropes. The Thafki ambassador raised a paw. Excuse me, you're Marcel, right? The one that has beaten half to death. Um, oh, of course, I should have introduced myself. Most of you know me as the exchange participant, who was taken prisoner and got the space makeover from the Gojid's claws with a complimentary ten days of starvation. Fun times. What you may not know is that I was later dosed by an aerialized version of the cure, which triggered a severe initial reaction that left me bedridden for weeks. Breathing in vapors of animal products, they can send me into anaphylaxis. I carry an EpiPen around at all times, just in case now, even here. You're saying that you are forcefully converted omnivore like us, the crow cattle ambassador Nula choked. Precisely. I'm here to lay out why that's a problem. A public health hazard for anyone who's had the effects of this bioweapon passed along. I was already a vegetarian, yet the slightest trace of anything that's an animal can kill me now. I can't live on my homeworld, around my family. I shudder to think how many unexplained incidents occur on worlds of fully cured species. You can have sincere intentions never to go near predator food. But a bug accidentally gets into your meal, or an animal brushes up against a crop you don't wash fully. Problem. It could be you, could be your children, or anyone you care about. Everyone's biology reacts differently. Forced herbivation cannot be allowed to exist in a free society. Mazic Dignitary Cooper looked displeased. I'm not an omnivore, but wouldn't undoing the cure mean people could eat meat? That really isn't acceptable in our cultures. Maybe you should just be left alone, and the cured peoples can be more careful with food prep, rather than all of us opening the door to dead meals. Look, I care about what I put into my body, too. I always understood how you feel about predation, and how the idea of it sickens you. But if you believe in something this strongly, you won't change your mind just because you have the choice to change. You believe that these societies are moral and righteous due to their dietary abstinence, yet they don't have the free will to do anything else. They're forced to comply. 
How is it righteous at all when it is the only path you can take? All the cure does is crystallize the people who would supposedly stay the course regardless. I raise my tail. For my fellow delegates' information, Marcel will be on a human trial of the cure reversal drug to test its efficacy. I can speak to the fact that fossil gene edits are never harmless and always about controlling anyone who defies their indoctrination. Thank you, Ambassador. I've said my piece, but I wanted it to be clear how much suffering it has caused me. I don't feel that I deserve this. I don't feel that your grandchildren deserve this either. I'll take my leave, and according to my notes, you're supposed to have a short recess to discuss this, sir. Please support safety and choice. The red-haired human ducked his head, and some of the more Terran-familiar individuals tried to make smacking sounds against the desks to imitate applause. It was always refreshing to see bits of human culture catching on. I appreciated clapping as an unmessable way to let the speaker know their words were appreciated. Part of me wondered where Marcel, Frasier, and Slinek would be if not for his capture all those months ago. Another aspect of my brain wondered where the Vendel would be now, had we never been turned into our present state. I didn't know if it would be a better outcome, but it would be more authentic. Marcel is right about none of the gene-edited species deserving this. We need to make this right for the next generation. I have to hope that Noah takes what I'm about to say well. Hey, Noah. My chest was a bundle of nerves, though not in the same way as when I first accepted the binocular-eyed Captain's hail. I'm sorry to spring this on you, but can we have us word somewhere private? There's something I need to tell you. The human flinched. Uh oh, uh, I don't like the sound of that. H have I done something wrong? Uh, are we breaking up? What? No. It has to do with, uh... What we are talking about, when I take the stage, please uh, just follow me. I scurried out of the meeting auditorium, finding my way to a private discussion chamber. Noah looked apprehensive, but shut the door behind him. What if he was offended by what I was about to propose, or despised the idea? Would he get angry that I recklessly wished to be among the first to have my gene edits undone, and bring the uncrippled child into this world? My ears bunched up with frustration as I struggled to think how I would explain my sudden shift in future plans. The astronaut was growing more concerned by the moment, so I knew I needed to just spit it out. I'm getting the gene edits reversed. Uh, I want to be one of the first to show my people they can trust it. Like Marcel said, the risks are worth it. To see what was taken from us undone, I blurted. Noah tapped his chin with his finger. Tava! You know I'll support your decision. You should have bodily autonomy, that said. It won't change anything about your present circumstances, now or ever. It's about future generations. Is it worth the risk when there's no, um, offspring? Yeah, uh, about that. Oh, I, uh, I see. It's wonderful that you're thinking about motherhood, though I admit I'm caught a bit off guard. I am, uh, I know I should never say this out loud, but... Aren't you past birthing age, you know? Haven't you hit menopause? This is awkward. I recoiled in confusion. Menopause? I have no idea what you are talking about. Noah's expression became more flustered. It's a, a human woman. Um, they, they, they stop getting periods and uh, being able to have children during their uh, middle age. I'm going to stop talking about this. I really should have researched more about Vendel by now, but I didn't even think of that. That's not a thing for us, or any other species that I've heard of. I love you humans, but you're extremely strange on an anatomical level. 
Also, uh, what's a period? Uh, maybe, um, maybe you should talk about this with Sarah. I don't think I am uh, qualified in this department, but I don't have a problem with you wanting children, per se. It's just, you know, that's not something that could happen between a human and a mineral. That's why you pulled me aside, right? Are you asking for uh, an open relationship? Frankly, I want to be exclusive. I'm asking if you'd be okay with me seeking a reverse model donor so that you and I could raise a child, uncrippled and free of gene edits as our own. If that would violate what you see as an exclusivity or as starting a family. Noah was quiet for a few seconds. Sorry, I'm processing that. Tava, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. If this is what you want, then we'll make it work. I'll love our little Vendel Goober with all my heart. <sighs> I'm so relieved that you're okay with it. I know that it's a lot to ask, but I need us to be a part of building that future generation. Our legacy. I guess peace in the galaxy and saving the human race won't be enough of a legacy. Never hurts to add a little more. With you by my side, I feel like I can always go beyond what I ever dreamed was possible. Now, uh, Let's go get the SC on our side. I can't wait to tell them all about our plans to restore the Vendel to our true selves. My human wrapped an arm around my shoulders, and I gave him a grateful ear flick for his unwavering support. As long as the Predators stood beside me, no challenge was insurmountable. Together, we returned to the main venue to rally our allies around the gene reversal program that would play a huge part in our future lives. End of chapter. Chapter 161 Memory Transcription Subject Anzo Yotel Technician Specialist Date Standardized Human Time March 23rd, 2137 The march to offer defied expectations with the lack of open confrontation we faced. The Corsian Commonwealth had a vast expanse of territory. As the original founder, their most storied colonies predated the Federation itself. Their population had necessitated spreading out across the stars so, even after a hypothetical conquest of Alpha, it would have to be seen whether the scattered billions would surrender. The tentacled bastards used every system of their official 20-light-year territory bubble, which was how their manufacturing power was so absurd. It was also why I expected us to be stopped by border outposts like the Gojits had, but those sat unguarded, with only automated turrets and lasers left behind. The stationary targets could be picked off with little risk to us. Within inhabited systems, FTL disruptors were running, which impeded our journey. We chose a passing that traveled by the fewest settlements, but were forced to burn days in sublight travel. Wary of the Colchians using humanity's tricks against us, we kept our own anti-FTL signals online. The last thing we needed was asteroids being warped atop us, or ships leaping right into the center of our ranks. It might have been possible to take the colony worlds, except that Colchian bombers were clustered around their own planets. What was the point of that? I grasped that they only cared to defend Alpha, but this maneuver must have been with the intention to paint humanity as butchers. Perhaps it's a bluff, but even if we got the UN to agree to exhaust the colonies, it'd waste our munitions. Maybe it is a cold-blooded sacrifice to tilt the scales at the main event. Taking the outpost worlds by foot isn't viable, then we'll be lucky to successfully occupy Arthur. I couldn't imagine how the Colchians on the ground felt, seeing their own government using them as hostages. 
Several humans suspected a trap on the planet's bounds, whether it be from planet-to-surface munitions, kamikaze bombers, or hidden orbital defenses. We opted to stick to the mission parameters and limit our engagements before Alpha. I couldn't help but notice the bare-bone defenses by the backwaters, with patrols seeming to be cancelled. Was the Commonwealth planning to go out with a glorious last stand? Had the cutoff from over 200 allies caused them to conserve their numbers from the home system? Whatever the reason for the quiet deployment, it felt like a calm before the storm. It was strange that they had expended so much manpower on failed boarding ambushes, though as the galaxy's most popular species, lives seemed to have little proportional value to them. The Caucians knew we wanted to occupy their world, so targeting manned vessels would mean those vessels needed repairs. What was the point of stalling our advance beforehand if they weren't impeding us in surrounding systems now? I couldn't figure out what their angle was, but they'd been buying time for something. Meld, this is it. I verified the sensor calibrations as we dropped outside the FTL disruptors around Alpha's system. I'll have a read on how many ships they have soon. Ralchi. I hope it's not millions. They've always been hiding their true capacity. What if it is? Millions. Carlos can't exactly say. Shoot them all to that, Sutherland grumbled. Carlos scrunched his face in confusion. Um, why not? Do we have the fecking ammunition for that? Even this atavast yodel can count bullets. Samantha swept her auburn hair out of eye. We've been planning to get these feckers for a long time. Time to fix the galaxy's crazy alien problem. I've got a bullet with Melbourne's name on it for the first Colchian to walk in my sights. Likewise, I'm doing this for Lian. We cleared those colonizers off our planet once, I said. There is nothing you can do to these bastards that would match the thousand-year sum of their evil. Tyler snorted. First, I don't agree, but it is not the damn Olympics. Before your aliens asked, that's a big athletic contest with the shiny medals and the swimmers and the hurdles. We uh, didn't ask. Ha! That's rich coming from a living geyser of fun facts. See, much better name for him than Atavist Sovlin. <clears throat> if I have to fight alongside a total barbarian, I'm glad it is this one, the Gojit admitted. I never would have imagined how much I'd care about a yodel and little fecking predators when I turned myself in. Though, you all leave much to be desired. You're my crew. Samantha glowered at him. I don't know why I expect a racist war criminal to give proper compliments, but you're making me glad that we're about to see action. Please dole out some of the now-shut-the-fuck-up orders, Officer Cordona. Fine. Listen up. Here's what I will need handled. Monzo numbers, sovereign tactical suggestions. Tyler barked. Good luck. You all know what we're up against. This squiddy's got home field advantage and they're packing heat. We scrounged up over 100k of our own ships, so that's a good crap. But it is us, a smaller number of Yodel, technocracy ships that we could bring in, and another bit of sapient coalition padding. There's been calls to others' powers, but... We don't have them now, Carlos sighed. It'll be alright, whatever they have waiting for us, I know tactics are on our side. Well, we haven't unlocked an infinite ammo glitch in reality, so tactics won't matter if they've got us too outgunned. Plasma has to recharge, and the rest of our munitions ain't gonna replenish on the fly. Hanzo, do you have the enemy's numbers? I straightened my ears, waiting for the inconclusive blips to solidify into a proper count. Our glide had almost brought us within visual range of the nearest ships, 
but there was a larger formation scattered throughout the system. Orbital rings by orbital ring, it became clear the cautions hadn't left any stop along the way uncovered. Pushing through to Arthur itself would mean vanquishing a brutal onslaught at every step. And I couldn't imagine other surprises weren't lurking for us. My readout sourced data from our vast array of vessels, running predictive analysis to fill the gaps from vague, far-off points. My ears pinned back in unease as I watched the total numbers of hostiles climb. Worst of all, a solid chunk of the foes on our vicinity couldn't be matched to the known Shadow Fleet markers. There was an estimated 96,000 vessels from the manned public caution armada and over 200,000 that were Shadow Fleet, a jaw-dropping number that dwarfed our attack force. However, I was watching the full enemy tally climb past 500,000 before it leveled off. The computer didn't buy that the rest were Commonwealth made. It racked its data banks for other alternatives, including the simplest possibility, that some of their 200 allies had come despite the catastrophic cyber attacks. Yet, the homogeneity of the ships suggested that it was a single entity, which led my brain to a startling possibility. Which parties in the galaxies have that many ships? I'd assumed that it was the Arxal Dominion, except that I don't see how the Greys could have been persuaded to fight alongside Federation prey. Let's start with the easy news. While it is running a search for more comprehensive analysis, I said, we're looking at about 500,000 hostiles in system. Tala narrowed his eyes. That's, uh, the easy news. Well, it's not a million ships like Slovlin was afraid of. Slovlin waved his claws angrily. Oh, half a million ships. That's so much better. Wait, what if Onzo applied sensor filters by mistake? Maybe he's overstudying it. The very first time we worked together, you accused me of that same shit. My work is damn good. Good as any the human here. If you can't see that, you're the never-pouched primitive. I'm sorry. Who was the captain of a warship? Who's trusted for tactical advice? Captain Monaghan? Technically, that's the correct answer, wise-ass. Samantha laughed. I don't see a problem. We beat them with numerical odds against us many times over. Cause the best minds are on our team. How is this any different? Carlos scowled at his fellow guard. This is it. Every trick they have up their sleeves they're going to use on us. We expect some of those plays to be as dirty as feck. They also have defensive fortifications to support their ships all across the system. There's a reason the plan is to manually take over the moon's orbital defenses. The brass must think that we can't get close enough with bombers. I flinched as my console flashed, confirming my suspicion. I'll tell you what else is different. 200,000 of the ships are from the Arxal Dominion. What? Tyler hissed. Sovereign's spines bristled with a dangerous lividness. Those fecking, uh, the heartless greys do know who starved them, right? And after everything the Arxal did to us, to the herd, Arthur is working poor and poor with them. It wasn't enough that this all started because of the Federation. They have to keep it going. I know our suffering means feckle to them, but the greys and the cautions really are one and the same. Keep your head, Captain Racism. We know there's no bar that's too low for them. I can't say I expected this, but I also think the Dominion is less dangerous than the Shadow Fleet. We still have the mountain to climb, but it's now or never. When the other 200 species get back on their feet... Those numbers would be a million plus, I finished. Insurmountable. Channel your anger, Sovereign, and use it to kill them all. The Gojud gritted his teeth. With pleasure. It's time to correct my final mistake. 
Years of service to the slying, sifkit-brained federation. Watch your tactical input, Tyler's questioned. Sir, I feel that we should target these Dominion ships now. This isn't solely due to my personal vendetta with those bastards. They're manned ships, but ones that are more competent than the Colchian crude vessels. It'll keep us clear of the lights-out drones too. Our weapons have the advantage, so that we can cut the grace down to size. Onzo, do you agree? I masked my surprise at having my opinion solicited. I do agree. I don't know what these Dominion crews were told, but I'm sure several aren't thrilled of their present alliance. There appears to be a group massing by the nearby gas giant, attempting to spring an ambush if we leave them be. We don't want to lose their signatures and have gravity fields muddy the waters. Then I'll advise the captain. She'll handle coordination with our allies. Find us a prime target on sensors, Anzo, and send to the viewport on them. Consider it done. As Tyler strolled over to Monahan's post, I brewed in my unvoiced doubts over the numerical disadvantage. It seemed like we didn't have enough ships to take the system. Under the circumstances, the best option might have been to circle back and avoid a confrontation that was slanted so heavily against us. However, another part of my brain knew that this was the best that the odds were going to get. Now that the Federation wasn't donning the guise of a peaceful organization, they could crank out more ships than humanity could with the sheer scale of their empire. If we let the Colchians have time to get a new manufacturing plants off the ground, there was no way for the Terrans to match it. It's impressive how quickly humanity ramped up their shipmaking capacity, putting Earth's entire industrial might into overdrive. Going from zero battleworthy craft to thousands upon thousands, whether by slapping drives and donations from allies or by splicing drones together from scratch. That said, it is now or never for taking Alpha, and hopefully the Federation down. Tyler gave me a confident nod upon his return. My selection had been a Dominion bomber that was showing battle scars on its hull, much like our own. The enemy craft had undergone repairs, but nothing could truly be put back to the same quality after it was broken. Other sections of the invading fleet were designated to separate tasks. Yotel technocracy ships were joining Terran drone advances on the Shadow Fleet hideouts, pushing deeper into the system. The meager assortment of Sapien Coalition forces were challenging Colchian crewed ships, pitting the two weakest links against each other. The last one seemed like a toss-up of who stampeded first, though I suspected that it was derisive to think that way. Small laser station powering up from within the ring debris, I barked, spotting the warning on my screen. Captain Monaghan pursed her lips. Don't deviate from our present course. Lock plasma fire on the Dominion hostile and prepare for evasive maneuvers if we're fired upon. As our powerful railguns faced off against the Dominion's pair, I trusted that we had the edge and range, while lacking recharge speed and anti-evasion measures. The true advantage was the shield-breaking missiles, which were dumped into gas-giant adjacent enemies, unless the Colchians had done something so reckless as passing along their replicated technology to the Arxel, the Greys wouldn't have an advantage. Unshielded foes were forced to pirouette behind cover of the planet's rings, where ice particles and small rocks absorbed several beams. We didn't have a clear shot, while they could pick their angle from a strategic location. To make us feel more surrounded, station-based lasers torched the path through Terran ships. They had enough energy to cut through several of our craft, shields and all, with a single blow. Our advance turned in to address the troublesome planetary defense. 
chucking any high-yield bombs we had in station's direction. Its defenses were able to cause some premature detonations, though the indirect exposure was enough to clear its surrounding debris. That left a clean ticket for the antimatter munitions to punch through, blowing the installation of Ralchi's domain. While we'd been able to mop up that issue, I could see why larger versions around Offer would be a major problem. The Gaulshan homeworld must be a fortress. The Arcs all picked this perfect location to set up shop and compensate for their weakness. They might be lazy in the present day, but they're not stupid. There's no question why they've been able to terrorize the whole galaxy for years. We still have a long way to go after this, sir, Sovereign advised Tyler, amid nerve-wracked claws chewing. They've been able to mitigate their losses, and we've taken some hits. If they would last down at this rate, all the way to Arthur, we won't make it. We need to rethink our strategy. I don't know. Figure out why the Dominion is working with the Federation at all. I fucking hate the idea of working with them, but I don't see how we can take them on. Turning them might be the best tactical advice I can give. Officer Cardona looked surprised by that suggestion. Thank you for your objectivity, Sovereign. Intelligence back home has been appraised of the Dominion's arrival, but we don't have enough information to try any outreach yet. I'll be candid with you all. We could use double the ships at our disposal to have a viable chance. Wish we'd got more than 38 fucking allies, cause it's a real David versus Goliath. A real what? Little guy versus big guy. We just have to keep fighting and pray for a turnaround. We'll take Arthur, or die trying. That might be bleak, but it's the God's honest truth. With those ominous words hanging in the air, I felt inertial dampeners rushing to keep up as we zigzagged. Dodging plasma required constant surveillance of target locks and inbound munitions. Interceptors deployed in front of us as many missiles homed in on us. Weapons had only just gotten our plasma back online, having to rely on connected turrets in the downtime. We fired off another shot, and a glancing plasma response from the Dominion caused a slight dip in our shielding. Finding cover was the best way to hold our own. The Terran fleet had deployed a few barrier walls to replicate the gas giant's ring's advantage, but those could only absorb a few hits. It was nothing compared to the millions of fragments created by nature to hide within. I squinted at the sensor screen for any useful insights to pass along and my tail drooped as I spotted ship activity from the edge of the system. The cautions had more vessels at the ready, warping into encircle us. It had looked like they had vacated every outpost or colony garrison in their possession, but I suppose that had been the trick as well. While our Terran comrades had left a rear guard anticipating the strategy, we were already stretched thin against half a million defenders. The idea of juggling more combatants and flanks would put an even greater strain on our resources. As much as I'd been excited to take the fight to the Federation, I wasn't sure this was a battle we could win, if the enemy still had more resources to summon. Anzo, are you alright? You look like you just saw a ghost, Tyler growled. I attempted to correct my downcast expression, but my body language stayed deflated. I did, uh, ours. I'm counting 30,000 new Dominion signatures, freshly warped in at the edge of FTL Disruptor Boundary. For every few we cut down, they could just bring in more. There's no telling how many ships they really have. That changes things. We have to win this fight, but no commander would advocate suicide for our fleet. If the other side's true numbers are still in question, this battle is already lost. I'll bring this to Monaghan's attention, and maybe, like Sovereign said, we do have to rethink our strategy.
I hope that we can find another way. I'll keep you appraised. I ducked my head in acceptance and watched the primate hustle over to the captain to impart the Morrison message. Optimism was becoming a colossal struggle as we swerved around the battlefield to maintain our very lives. Once we found a pass to cut through the Dominion's ring forces, I had faith that we could start pushing our momentum in this area. The question was how many engagements we could survive before our fleet collapsed under the pressure. If tons of enemy reinforcements were sitting in the sidelines, getting to offer might be too much of a hurdle for even humanity to surpass. End of chapter. Chapter 162. Memory Transcription Subject. Onzo, Yodel Technical Specialist. Date Standardized Human Time, March 23rd, 2137. The captain bore a somber look on her face as Tyler first imparted the news of Dominion reinforcements from the direction of Kalkwa. There were a few hushed and hurried conversations as I strained to pick up comms chatter. While I couldn't hear what our personnel was saying, I could see the humans' faces cycling through different emotions. The bridge crew were dividing their attention between this new situation and waging battle against the Arxol ships entrenched in the gas giant's ring. Our progress was slow and steady, careful not to overplay our hand. Their cover was being chipped away at, though it cost a few ships. Plasma arced from our railgun, seizing a clean angle that I forwarded through my analysis of the battlefield. I tried to focus on that single enemy erupting into smithereens and the increased ability that we had to avoid hazards from our closer vantage point. The Dominion didn't budge from their positions as a few allies fell. Our own ship was the recipient of an attempted target lock, likely the same foe that signaled us out of the previous plasma strike. I put my head down and searched for whichever miscreant was gunning for us. Through close inspection, I located a small warship hiding in the shadows of a large ally. Not wasting a second that could mean the difference between life and death, I forwarded the new target to weapons. Plasma is recharging, but with those nanodrones we stocked up on, I say now's a good time to use them, I shouted. Captain Monaghan angled an ear towards me ever so slightly. You heard the Yertel. Unload the nanodrones and deploy the mini-missile salvo to distract them in the meantime. The Terran commander's addition to my plans was sound, but it was a disappointing that I hadn't presented the solution myself. The new Dominion blips, 30,000 of them, were distracting me. A part of my brain was mapping their trajectory and had reached a gut-wrenched conclusion before my conscious mind connected the dots. As the mini-missile delivery vehicles wove around the larger hull and their payload battered the shieldless hull of the foe targeting us, I checked to confirm my instinctual suspicions. All of the new reinforcements were closing in on our manned vessels to aid their Arxol brethren. We had chosen this engagement because it was the most viable option on the competency gradient. Have we walked into a trap? What do we even do? Peel back and push through the ambushes? Weapons at full blast and to regroup. Summon a drone back up, when our automatons are already contested in the Shadow Fleet. The nanodrones reached their intended target, punching through the drive compartment. There was nothing the Arxor harassing us could do to avoid going up in flames. The explosion lobbed icy debris from the planetary rings at nearby comrades, which damaged several of its allies. I was certain that Monaghan would advise other ships to pivot to the nanodrones, but that tactic didn't address the inbound problem. We had a few minutes before the Dominion completed its pincer movement. 
while I racked my brain for an out-of-the-box solution, the sensor's readouts glitched. The unmistakable raiding vessel switched over to green, friendly markers. Tyler, 30,000 Arxel vessels are coming in hot on our heels, I announced. I advise immediate action to address this threat. Also, many enemies may have tapped into our system since they are suddenly denoted as friendlies. Sovlin huffed with skepticism. Did you press the wrong button by mistake? All that bouncing and fidgeting you do on your hind legs. I didn't touch it. You are disrupting matters of the gravest importance. Does Tyler need to remove you from the bridge? Well, I spoke up to offer sensical advice. Unless that is nasty Chief Hunter Isif's ships, it's obvious Dominion ships aren't friendlies. And Isif is buddy-buddy with Zhao. So, I'd venture since we didn't know where they were coming, it's not him. The Greys don't have cyber capabilities like Terrence, as Onzo should know. Hacking is a fantastical notion that leaves the possibility that the markers were mislabeled by the Yotl or by someone else in a high-ranking position. Would any humans betray their kind to aid the Arxor? Captain Monaghan snapped ahead towards us. No, we're pulling back to fall in line with the new Dominion ships. We have new intel being forwarded that says that they're here to take Alpha and are very much against cooperating with the Kulshians. I'll be hailing the new arrivals commander to gather info for the fleet. Exoswats has control of battle stations. Comms, extend a hail. I blinked in confusion, doubtful over whether to trust these sources. Sovlin could have a point about power-hungry traitors in the Terran's cause, though I knew very little about this Isif he mentioned. Tyler told me that he was an ardent supporter of some archives grey, but I didn't know the specifics. However, it wasn't impossible that the sensor anomaly was an inside job to sow confusion, a betrayal from within. As was evident in the seediest parts of Yotal history, all it took was one person in the right spot who was tempted by the grandiose offerings to sell out a movement. If the primates were too trusting of the wrong people, our vessels could be waltzing blind into the crossfire. Our intelligence hasn't dropped the ball yet, Anzo. Knock on wood. If this was an entire agency's conclusion, there must be some basis for it. Tyler reassured me. Carlos dipped his head in agreement. Maybe it's a new addition to the Oxal Rebels. I thought they preferred insurgent tactics to direct engagements, but maybe this group buys into the prideful aggression doctrines. Aggression sounds great. Hell, as long as their bloody guns point in the right direction, I don't care if they follow the whims of a flying spaghetti monster. Samantha huffed. Our warships reversed its momentum with gradual thruster changes and glided backwards. The hostile Oxal wouldn't concede their strategic location by the gas giant to pursue us. Of the thousands of Dominion ships in this cluster, we'd picked off a few percentage points. I could see nearby remains of a few of our craft, too. We hadn't escaped unscathed. Even with shields, a few well-placed hits in the close succession would turn a Terran vessel to scrap metal. Captain Monaghan was aware of the singular focus required during a space battle, which was why she was in a hurry to complete the call to our mysterious ally. Seconds passed without a response from the 30,000 ships who were almost upon us. If there was no answer from this grey bunch, it would certainly elevate my suspicions. Any genuine aid would want to coordinate with our allies. What could possibly be the delay? Before my doubts could creep back in, regardless of the human's faith in their intelligence, a strange oxel blinked onto the screen. Abundant scars laced his face, which was an unusual greenish-grey, rather than a standing in their typical display of strength and ferocity. This commander was in an unusual seated position. 
If he was answering our hail, this must be the chief hunter presiding over the command ship. Given that Sovlin wasn't reacting with recognition, this wasn't the friendly Isif. The carnivorous alien bared his teeth in a true snarl, rather than the relaxed teeth flashing Terence favored. Humans, I am Chief Hunter Ilthus, and I'm here to help you deal with these uh, traitors to Battlement, the Axel growled. Battlement is an ideal of cruelty and dominance. A friend of yours reminded me of this. I was able to contact Chief Hunter Uslif from my neighbor's sector before Kiznil could get to her with that plea. Monaghan narrowed her eyes. Why are you helping us, Chief Hunter? We like to know who we're fighting alongside. Uslif and I wanted to show these, uh, we don't need their permission to do anything, and that we don't work with prey. I've obtained a copy of some damning footage between those codgers, Gisnel, and Nikonis, but the Dominion ships have disabled communications for that reason. The command ships are jamming inbound signals, to be sure, under the guise of cybersecurity. I could convince many others here to turn if they saw this one clip. There's no way to get them to accept file transfers or hails without hacking their systems and forcing them to listen. If we had malware on their ships, I suspect that it would have been activated the second our brass heard the Dominion was here. You'll need to fight your comrades. Will that be acceptable for you? <laughs> you speak as if I care about my associates, human. I'm not so pathetic. They are in my way. They are defending the leaf-licking scum who think they can control us. And I'd rather fight with a sniveling predator like you than join the piss-ridden Federation. At least you don't shy away from a threat. I think the Federation finds us humans to be most troublesome, clearly. The Dominion's not a fan of the strength and gumption that we bring to the table either. If I may, Chief Hunter, do you know how the Arxor were persuaded to work with the Commonwealth? <laughs> they claim that you will eliminate any threats to your claim over the prey animals that populate the galaxy. Therefore, the Arxel will not have the right to exist, and pooling forces with an undesirable herbivore is to protect future raids. They say it's about the right to cruelty, but it's really about control and lack of ambition. Is have told me that you'll back a society with a different despot to Gizno. I'll answer to no more cowards. That senile, defective chief hunter has the right idea with a power grab, but the role seems uh, better suited to me. We can settle the future of Dominion after Federation is gone, chief hunter. The perfect tone of diplomacy from Monaghan for the self-centered individual. This is a chance to defeat them entirely and to stop Oxor from being directly controlled by the herbivores who insulted you by trying to starve you. Who do you want to be the one responsible? A hero, even, in their defeat. Ilthus's eyes glowed with malice. Generations will know of my power. A true chief hunter would never fight for the Federation. We're taking the gas giant. If you leaflickers want to come with us... Uh, you better keep up. The Oxor disconnected from the hail, and Captain Monaghan allowed her neutral mask to fall. She closed her binocular eyes with a bit of wariness, no doubt from her negotiating attempts all being centered on crazy people from deranged regimes. That would tucker anyone out. 
and challenged their professional tone. I could at least rest assured that the newcomer's motives checked out, so human intelligence had read the situation correctly. The Terran manned ships merged with Ilthus's vessels, coordinating with Arxor commanders over comms. With 30,000 new craft on our side, we should be able to clean up the inferior force much quicker. I checked my sensor readout, gauging the other battlefronts. Sir, an update on our allies' status. The other Yodel ships have been pushed deeper into our system, if I'm reading this correctly. It seems Terran drones quietly slapped on their own particle beams. The Shadow Fleet is sustaining disproportionate losses. The Sapient Coalition is struggling against the enemy's manned ships, though, uh, and it appears to need urgent backup. We can't afford to divert any resources. We're committed to pushing forward with Ilthus, and if the A-Team is succeeding against the Shadow Fleet, they should keep their foot on the gas too. Taking out those ships is top priority after all. What happens when the SC ships fall on their first engagement of many? We're at the outer bounds of the system, not offer. If we spend this battle bailing them out, we won't be able to focus on our goals. They knew the risks. They need to hold their own. Unless we get more magical reinforcements out of the left field. Well, I knew that my human exchange partner was correct. Having only two main groups to deploy would hinder our capabilities to address evolving threats. It was a shame that herbivore crude militaries were always bumbling fools. I think that knowledge colored Terran's initial perception of me in this role more than primitive accusations I faced elsewhere. Determined to set myself apart from other ex-Federation volunteers, I hunched over the sensors to find us an edge. The green dots denoting Ilthus's ships were throttling ahead at full burn. It was convenient for us that they sent themselves to the front lines to absorb the worst of the incoming fire. This is a novelty, seeing the minion ships fighting against themselves, untold aggression cancelling each other out. Ilthus were wanted to push into the rings for close-range angles, blasting these opponents with kinetics and plasma that they can't dodge. It'll be a no-win bloodbath, except that we can seize the distraction for mid-range strikes. Neilthus is likely to get up close and personal with these old friends, I advised. We should be careful not to hit him. Sovlin grumbled to himself. Should we now? Uh, so much for why Sage Sovlin handled tactics. <clears throat> Don't hit him, because we need his vessels alive to increase our chances during later engagements. I suggest that we hold our fire to precede him by just a little bit, so the enemies are distracted when he pulls up alongside them. Tyler grinned with approval. Good work, Anso. Chart Ilthus's intercept vectors and inform us when you estimate a ship is ten seconds from deploying kinetics. Yes, sir. Thirty thousand overlapping lines blinked onto my sensor readouts, but I knew our vessel needed to protect one. Other Terran craft would handle the others. I applied filters to the chart vectors only for Ilthus's speediest ships and those who were the closest to the gas giant's rings. After combing through the data and allowing our new allies to get nearer to the target, I pulled up a nimble warship's pathing. It was flying headlong into a barrage of plasma. While we conserved the brunt of our weaponry for the climax of this aggressive strategy, the fresh Dominion ships had an abundance of missiles to unload at the Colchian allied hostiles. Scores of casualties were racking up on both sides, but the arrogant chief hunter had almost gotten his ship inside the icy debris. I pulled up one vessel. We could just barely catch an angle of its belly. We can blow a hole in the underside of this one, or at least make it straddle. Plasma needs to get shot off in the next few seconds. 
Weapons fire a new target, Monaghan ordered. My ears perked up as our beam was dispatched with impressive haste. Somehow, the humans hadn't sacrificed anything in the way of precision. Our ox or foes were paying more mind to their kinsmen than the UN fleet hanging back, perhaps under the assumption that the debris lent them enough shelter to disregard us. Their negligence allowed us to tear a gash in our mark's belly, compromising its integrity. Terran vessels around us fired off similar shots, landing strikes wherever we could. A few kills, along with many damaging hits, were notched into our enemies. Several enemy guns, which had been preoccupied raining hellfire on a charging Ilthus, zapped plasma in our direction in response. The Terran man fleet was able to avoid prolonged fire since Ilthus regained their attention with his arrival. The scarred chief hunter had lost thousands of ships with his recklessness, but it was one way to flush the Dominion from the icy rings. The Oxal friendlies stormed the natural made fortress, cycling between their three main munitions as fast as biologically possible. More missiles were spit off from close range in an overkill wasteful gesture, while turrets revved to life to pump kinetics across entire ship bodies. Plasma had barely flashed from twin railguns before it coiled with our enemies. Ilthus's strategy was to shoot everything his force had all at once without giving them a second to breathe. And it was working like a charm. Now that our plasma has recharged, another supporting volley should cause them to crumble. Even the Arxel themselves didn't expect this much aggression from one of their own. This Ilthus Grey's unhinged. Not my ideal choice for an ally. I served up another target on the platter, and weapons needed a quick go-ahead to sizzle energy towards the fray. The Terran fleet had drifted nearer, allowing a shorter time to impact. I had the viewport focused on a current mark, as human technicians blast plasma straight into key systems. The craft somehow stayed together, but the gaping hole through its hull left it listing off vector. Ulthus's people were on it in a second, killing a vessel that was already out of the game for good measure. The Dominion's numbers had dwindled in light of our new arrival, though they pumped out desperate last shots towards a new chief hunter. Our crazy ally was able to pounce on the final remnants without help, but the swift victory was at the cost of an eye-watering 10,000 of his ships. Ilthus's help won't last long if he keeps bleeding ships like this. I adjusted the viewport towards the open expanse of stars, as our warship banked to join our allies deeper in system. Speaking of allies, that sapient coalition situation I mentioned has gotten worse. We should help them. Samantha rolled her eyes. In a shocking turn of events, our alien help leaves much to be desired, except for the Yotel ships. You're pretty much as good as the ex-feds get. I'm so flattered. Not that you're completely wrong. With help like this, we certainly could use more ships. We just made it past their first bastion of defense, and the numbers won't get any prettier. Sovlin tapped a claw against the screen, finding a faint indicators from the edge of the opposite side of the system. Then you're going to like this. Already marked a tentative green. Computer must think they're not Colchian or Dominion. We should ask these guys to head towards the bulk of the action, rather than drifting away out yonder. The first wave of reinforcements that were on our side had quieted my doubts, but the Gojid's war criminal was speaking as if new additions were joining our fleet. I snapped my attention to the activity that he picked up, seeking out supplemental information so I could brief the captain on their origin. The subspace trails were a bit strange and would take a moment to untangle from this range but I was confident that I'd figure it out. 
whoever the latest group was. I hoped that it was someone more reliable than gunslinging Ilthus. Humanity needed proper aid to bail out their sapient coalition partners. End of chapter. Chapter 163. Memory Transcription Subject. Captain Sovereign, United Nations Fleet Command. Date, standardized human time, March 24th, 2137. Now that humanity and its allies were here at Alpha, I could feel the weighty gaze of history upon us. The chance to free our societies from the Federation's grip was both terrifying and inspiring. The Colchians had stripped us of our own cultures and thrust us into a censored life of suffering. A government that valued control above all else must not be allowed to exist, just as I had once considered humans a menace incapable of feeling. Out to conquer and pillage, I saw the same creatures that deserved anguish fighting in the system. The Dominion and the Commonwealth, poor and poor, both responsible for my tormented lot in life. If it weren't for Russell, I might stand with Anza in wanting Uffa glassed. The personalized anger always shaped my strategizing for the better, though the Yodel had been piping up before I could consemble my tactics. My guess the primitive wanted both jobs at Sensor Station. However, I had no intention of taking a backseat during the attempt to vanquish the Colchians. My eyes stayed alert for anything useful that could kickstart new ideas, while monitoring the sensor feed for data relevant to our tactical options. 50,000 friendlies at the edge of our detection range caught my attention. In the span since we first arrived in system, our fleet had now gained 80,000 new participants, nearly doubling our original count. Of course, I'd like to have Ilthus's head on a pike, but thankfully, that warmongering oxal seemed capable of killing off the beasts under his control by himself. One third of his force dying back at the gas giant saved human lives, so I could tolerate the greys getting blown to dust in our stead. That said, I hoped the computer wouldn't identify these new arrivals as more Dominion monsters, answering to some other chief hunter with a vicious ideology. The confusing bit was that they were denoted as friendlies. If these were Federation or Arxel vessels, their signature would have been matched to the ones in system, had someone from the Sapien Coalition decided to send some more help. I snapped my head up, catching on to a remark from Onza about needing more ships. Then you're going to like this. Already marked a tentative green. Computer must think that they're not Colchian or Dominion. We should ask these guys to head towards the bulk of the action rather than drifting way out yonder. The Yotl had been pensive since the battle began, likely worried about our odds of taking down this army. A joint force from the two greatest powers in the galaxy, which shattered the records for any battle force. Anza had understood that our outlook was grim going in. I think the Primitive saw this as a suicide mission. Reality hadn't looked upon us with kindness at first. The Terran shipyards at Proxima Centauri built up adjacent to the colony with temporary housing, and the commutative manufacturing power of Earth held significant output for a single species. The Predators seemed as if they could do anything when faced with a challenge to their kind yet it paled in comparison to the system-filling numbers that we were up against today. I knew what hopelessness looked like from gauging the moral of my Gojit crew back when we squared off against the Oxal. The charge we led against the Cradle's Raiders had a few realists like Onzo. It was only when Ilthus showed up that I saw the first glimmer of hope within the Yotl, and with 50,000 new additions to our roster, optimism was gleaming in my crewmates' eyes. 
I could see that the marsupial was trying to temper his rising spirits. It was important to verify that these were friendlies. If these latest additions were truly on our side, we might be able to fill the system with our own fleet. There is an issue of the 200,000 enemies that are Shadow Fleet, but it sounds like the Yodel and Terrans have their number. Something about beams of particles? Before we hail the Velas, we should know who they are, Tyler decided. For all we know, it could be some trick by the Colchians to dress their fleet up as Vendel ships. Samantha rolled her eyes. That would never work. The Vendel gave us most of their military. Fifty thousand ships don't grow on trees. Are you sure about that, Sam? Carlos teased. The blonde-haired officer blinked in irritation. Enough! You get my point. We can't afford to be wrong here. Who are we dealing with? Just one more second, sir. Hanzo furiously applied some filters to the subspace trail data, before his optimism seemed to fizzle. Oh, that's, uh, it's the dirty and shield. I shot a withering look at the yodel. Why are you saying that like it's a bad thing? Because, like all Federation militaries except for the ones we're squaring off against, they've shown that they're completely incompetent. I was in the Federation military. My point stands, old man. Insolent prick! Do you know who was the only captain to spot the Terran ambush and Godred border outposts, despite their stealth deception? Samantha called a nose at me. Why are you saying that like it's a good thing? Besides, maybe my memory's a little hazy. But didn't you do nothing to intervene? Something about expecting us to be unable to resist slaughtering the civilians on your colonies. So you can't buy an inhabited world instead of your base? I might have been a little offside. My point is, I saw through your tricks, so I was somewhat competent. Not all federations are the same. Uh-huh. Tyler was visibly trying not to laugh. This really shouldn't be amusing, should it? Guess compared to the shit that came after, this is good old days. Now sit back. We're going fast as we can to help out those SE ships. Unfortunately, Odzo has a point about Federation captains not holding up under pressure. They need us. Damn right they do, the Yodel declared. Well, now that they're here, don't we have to contact the Dirty and Shield to make sure that they don't wander off unsupervised? Um, I'm sure that we wouldn't put it that way, but yes. It's a good number of ships, and maybe this time will be different. Believe it or not, I heard they held up surprisingly well defending Kalkwa. Cornered animals, sir. Sovlin probably needs to concept explained, since prey could never hurt anyone just because they're out of options. I scoffed. I don't take explanations from medievalists and microwave chefs. Go make your fecking call. Officer Cotona ran a final confirmation with Onzo on the data before passing it along and used of the dirty shield reinforcements to Captain Monahan. The UN commander gauged the distance between us and the floundering Sapien coalition. The man Colchian ships were making quicker work of our direct allies than the shield's last stand. Pairing the two groups together could grant them more backbone, and adding the Kalkwa natives to the mix took our tally above 180,000. The real question was whether the avians were finally friendly towards the humans, or whether they'd cause fractious disruptions. The tone of this conversation would indicate their disposition towards us. Without humanity's kindness, the Dirgian species would be in the same position as the Gojits post-cradle, if not worse. I don't see how they could find it in their hearts to still harbor hatred for us. A Dirgian commander blinked onto the screen. We were hoping the Yodel Captain would speak to us about our integration, but I suppose a predator will suffice. 
We're here to make Arthur pay for what they did to us. Good, Monaghan growled with a neutral expression. If I may, when the homogeneity's numbers devastated Akalqua, I thought you only had a little less than 10,000 ships total. I do know my own fleet strength. Look, we lost more people than you did on Earth. I'm so angry I can't think straight. The Colchians attacked us again. We'd be fecked anyways, so we might as well point our guns at them, here and now. Understood. The other 40,000 are shield allies. The Lashi felt guilty for not sending any ships to Kalqua. Some grudge about being iced out of the Federation military. The Jawa saved most of their fleet for today because, surprise, they wanted to help out with this anyway. The- wait, why am I telling a predator this? I'm sure the motives of the 44 species and which ones turned up don't matter to you. What registers is violence and there's 40,000 shield ships that want to dish that out. You know, I'm happy you're here. We'll forge the coordinates of our herbivore allies' advance, and you can team up with them. They'll fill you in on the dingy details you need. Oh, and Commander? The avian stiffened. Yes. Humanity is not your enemy. We're, uh, starting to see that. Thank you for saving us. The Dirtian struggled to say those last words, and hurriedly disconnected from the call. Samantha chuckled with disbelief. It seemed the avians hadn't put the entirety of the predator distaste aside. However, I trusted the shield to fight by our side, as long as it meant dishing out retribution to Arthur. The look on the homogeneity commander's eyes when she spoke about her anger struck a chord. It wasn't dissimilar to how I'd felt after losing my family, stewing in hatred and a desire to make the responsible party suffer. In her case, that grief was fresh. Trusting the dirty not to do something rash would be foolhardy under the circumstances. We need to keep an eye on them. They're not thinking straight, I said. Carlos nodded in agreement. I know. Every human on the ship knows how they feel. Many of us came out of the Earth's attack willing to do anything to the Federation. However much they're not of sound mind now, Tyler began. Samantha sighed. Moreover, We need their numbers. Their desperation could make them fight better. You heard it from their mouth. They know if this battle isn't won, they can't defend Kalqua anyway. Their fleet is in tatters. Onza flicked his ears. The archives told us how loud and individualistic they are, and it shows. They do crazy illogical things during bursts of emotion. Assassinating Lyconus because they were angry over their uplifting, leaving Kalqua with zero ships to their name now. Let's not tell them that. I responded. It won't matter as long as we win this fight. Unlike the Colchians, the United Nations isn't an habitual practitioner of genocide. Yet the Federation said we'd conquer and enslave them all. Carlos shook his head, as if disappointed by our continued reality. They accuse predators of what they themselves do. I wonder if they hate us because our darkest moments are a mirror to their finest. Samantha patted his shoulder. Oh, you sweet little thing. They hate us because of our eyes and our food, and don't need another reason. They wanted us to be conquerors. It just turns out the system that we're conquering is theirs. Now, let's go bail out those bumbling SC idiots. This should be an easy stop, but let's not get complacent. Man your stations, everyone, Tyler ordered. Yodel technocracy ships and Terran drones were also moving their vectors towards us, after tallying a resounding victory against the Shadow Fleet. The Sapien Coalition bunch were the last group still engaged for our initial skirmishes by the outer planets. A light formation of manned hostiles were giving our herbivore friends a world of trouble. 
tactics on both sides had broken down into disorganized shooting match that was tilting towards the Colchians. The SC numbers had been nearly halved by an enemy band much smaller than them. It wasn't worth waiting for the Dirty and Shield or our autonomous allies to join our rescue. Human crew members can handle a straightforward task and do a clinical job cleaning up this area. The quicker we deal with this, the sooner we can push towards the inner planets. Onzo pulled up an enemy target on screen as we coasted within range, while I monitored whether any forces turned towards us. The Commonwealth vessels seemed a bit dispirited, like they believed that their government was sacrificing them to the cause. With those extenuating factors in mind, it wasn't a surprise that they were now slow to react. If Rizal was still alive today, would he have been called home and roped into serving his nation? I almost felt guilty as we nabbed our first mark, nailing them with a plasma beam that was all too easy to land. The Sapient Coalition regained a bit of their senses, with humanity coming to their aid. Our herbivore allies regrouped enough to coordinate fire and specific caution vessels. I passed along which ships were being targeted by our allies, so we could pull our resources on the ones they neglected. The manned enemies turned their last missiles towards the human crewed ships out of spite. Bitter at the predators who sealed their suicide mission. The barrage could be battered aside by most of us, except for smaller vessels that had too many inbound explosives centered on them. With the rapidly dwindling number of Commonwealth survivors, now out of projectiles, it simplified cleanup even further. A small handful of Colchian ships attempted to flee and were pursued by the fastest Terran craft. We couldn't allow them to fall back, bolstering the largest contingents near Alpha. I knew the point of the staggering resistance was to offer us up for when we reached the inner sanctum. Excessive planetary defense and the best Commonwealth Dominion vessels would be waiting. Having less threats to contend with improved our odds, given the daunting scale of the task ahead. Taking the Federation's Founders' world wouldn't even be the end of our mission. Finish off anything with Colchian Wolf Drive, Monahan barked. We have new orders from command. While it's ideal to split our forces, UN manned ships are being paired with the Shield and the Coalition. We can't afford to leave them to their own devices, so we stick with them like glue. Navigation, sensors, find us the best point of attack by the inner planets. Weapons, bring me an update on our ammunition stores. Comms, patch us into allied channels and keep us synchronized. A chorus of assent came from the stations the captain called upon while well, the last caution resistance in the region was mocked up. It was troublesome that our Sapien Coalition allies had bungled such an easy assignment. I hoped the furious revenge-seeking Dirtian Shield would have a higher level of competency. If none of our partners could handle their own, our warships would be strapped to an anchor. Human leadership needed to have a good sense to cut them loose, if it came down to it, and make the requisite sacrifices to win this battle. I peered at the sensor screen, I see we've plotted an intercept course to rendezvous with the Dirty and Shield. After that, I say we go towards the oblong rocky planet, Kato, if I remember its name. An unimportant research colony with a few hab modules. Unless you wanted to bomb it, I wouldn't concern yourself with settlements aside from Alpha. Sovlan is right, Anzo agreed. It's a prime target. There is a mix of Commonwealth manned vessels and Dominion ships. I imagine neither side likes that, so they might not be fighting or coordinating at their best. Precisely. Tyler Duckley said, I'll forward your suggested destination to the NAPS, along with the location of the enemies. Anything else we should know? Well, uh, 
just some tactical advice, sir. From what we can see on here, the enemy resistance only gets thicker as we go forward. I recommend keeping the SC and the shield in supporting roles. No, that won't do. The Dirtian won't be happy taking a back seat here, Anzo challenged. They want revenge for what was done to them. We've already established that, but they're highly emotional and not thinking straight. Then what are you suggesting? We let them take the lead, despite their questionable competency. That's exactly what I'm suggesting, Sovlin. Let the Dirtian pick their role and see how they fare. Kato is the test for whether it's best to let them go off on their own. Tyler posted his lips. I don't see a better option to keep them in line, and getting in their way may make them turn their guns on us. This might convince them that we're on the same side. I'll fill the captain in. She can have someone that's an herbivore ask their decision on how she wants to play this. Let's hope this goes better than we all expect, Samantha grumbled. As the census officer marched off for a conference with Monahan, I found myself questioning the Yodel's suggestion. I hated to admit Anza's advice was normally sound, but in this case, his idea could be detrimental to the fleet's success pushing deeper. It would be enough of a challenge to protect weaker allies without putting them in charge of our next move. The humans were attempting to manage a tricky situation, with the numerous parties for and against them in the battle, yet this seemed to be like a ludicrous gamble. I hoped that the Dirge and Shield combat actions today would be as bold as their words. We needed not just to win the next stage of the clash, but also to swing momentum to our side, heading to Alpha. None of this factored in Ilthus's ships, which had moved off on their own vector, rather than aiding our sapient coalition friends. That bloodthirsty chief hunter must not have wanted the appearance of teaming up with the prey. There was no question that the Dirtian would not appreciate our ox or aid. I didn't envy the Terran brass trying to juggle these different interests. If anyone could keep this tinderbox from erupting into flames, it was humanity. The Predators had been agents of peace since day one on the galactic scene. End of chapter. I would just like to thank our T5 members, Lord Azrakal, Ambrose Cattell, Quantum Wednesday, Dregzoon WRE, Blueberry Cat, Cam Maxwell, Casper Arnholtz, Bushmaster 177, and Leslie 517. Thank you very much.